gets very sort of difficult to actually have the same expectation and to keep renewing after such a long time. And I guess I just felt that it was time for Ezard. I, I, I felt it was time. Yep, it was, it was time. And it, it was all on a high uh, and it was just time. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Restaurants are not the gold mine, some think. With an industry average profit of 4%, margins are slim at best. In Australia, almost 80% of restaurants close their doors within the first two years of trade. So lasting a decade as a restaurant is an astonishing achievement. 20 years is extraordinary. A pandemic puts things in a different realm, and the true impact of the pandemic is beginning to take its toll on many operators. Teague Ezard is an award-winning chef and restaurateur, and behind some of Australia's best restaurants, Ginger Boy and Melbourne's institution, Ezard. Teague, how are you going? Good, mate. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Um, I know we've got quite a few things to talk about, and it's been a pretty tough period of time for you with the restaurant. Um, can you tell us um, the decision that you've made just recently in regards to Ezard and um, how the pandemic has affected that? Yeah, well, I mean, the pandemic, I mean, no one knew that was coming. Um, we, I mean, I, I guess for me, it's kind of bittersweet. Um, knowing knowing that we had an option with the lease that was rising, it sort of coincided with the time of the pandemic. And prior to it hitting, I think there was a good 12 months or so that we were thinking about, you know, do we renew? Um, you know, we've got one more renewal to go. It's been 20 years. And just by... I mean, I just, I mean, in the end, it came down a gut feel, I think, really for me. Um, you know, I've been working in this industry for a very long time and I I was actually one of the, the apprentices coming through when the, the last recession hit and I do remember, do remember the many restaurant closures and the many job losses and all the statistics you don't want to know about. And and it came as a, as a reminder that, you know, I, I didn't want to be a statistic. Um, I'm not saying that I would be, but there's that fear and there's that risk that you could just risk all um, and try and sort of push through a very difficult period. And um, yeah, so the the decision the decision to close um, was very well thought out. Uh, it didn't come lightly. It was a very hard decision to make, um, but it was made on a, on a good balance of. I, I guess I've got some very good people that I talk to. That uh, are very wise, um, you know. So it was a concerted decision based on, I guess, myself and, and also on others. What was the impact on staff and and you of the decision to close Azad? Oh, look, it was devastating. Yeah, devastating. I mean, you know, some of the staff that we have have been there for a very long time, and and uh, that made the decision even harder, to be honest, because you know when you've got um, staff that sort of use your your restaurant is their livelihood and have been for many, many years. You, it's just gut-wrenching. Um, but, you know, I, I, I guess it's also uh, a change, a, a good a good time for change. Um, although there's some decisions we don't really want to make, um, sometimes we just have to and, you know, that's one of the decisions in the last sort of few weeks that I had to make. And, um, 
yeah, very, very difficult on the staff. I mean, you know, staff in in the restaurants are like family. They've been there for so long and you, and you love them and you respect them, you admire them and you spend a lot of time with them and it's just um, it's just devastating. But um, But we're moving on. What's it like running a restaurant that's, you know, reached 20 years, which is pretty rare in Australia, um, compared to sort of, you know, the first couple of years at a restaurant? You know, what, what are some of the challenges that you've had when you've had a restaurant for so long? It's a, it's a very good question. I think some of the challenges that, um, that you face really are, I, I guess, being 20 years is you can't, you can't just accept the fact that you're 20 years and people will still keep coming because the, the industry has changed so much in the last last decade or so, um, and you just need to keep keep ahead, keep forging ahead, keeping innovative, and making sure that um, you know the customers are are really um, there with you on the journey. And I guess um, you know for us, I've been very very lucky to have a great following and a, and a great. Um, you know, a great customer base, but um, I guess one of the most challenging things is is just main, maintaining the rage. Um, you know, when you open, you know, you're riding a crest of a wave, and everybody's going, and the and the media are having a you know an actual meal out of you, and um, you know you, you got to ride that crest, and it's it's um, it gets very sort of difficult to actually have the same expectation and to keep renewing. After such a long time, and I guess um, you know, there's a whole lot of uh, different sort of you know, different sort of uh, ways, uh, I, I guess, to bring the restaurant alive after 20 years. And I, I just felt that it was time for Ezard. I, I felt I felt it was time. Um, yep, it was it was time, and it it was all on a high, uh, and it was just time. Can you take us back to when you first opened the restaurant and how it started? And, um, you know, what it was like bringing that together and bringing all those ideas, you know, to uh, release that, uh, which became, you know, a renowned restaurant um, to the dining public in Melbourne. Yeah, well, I, I did work at a restaurant called Guernica um, in the lead up to Ezard. So I had five years working at a restaurant in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy, um, and that was so much fun. I, I guess that was where um, I built, I sort of built my signature, I guess, in terms of that influence of Europe and Asia and bringing them both together. So um, it was it was a time when you could create and you could be, you know, really, really different and um, it was good fun. And from, I mean, I guess from a days at Guernica, Ezard was started and it was more of a refined approach to what I'd already done at Guernica. So um, I, it kind of stepped up a little bit. At that time, um, and it was it was a, a a good strong combination of European and Asian um, influences that um, really 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 um, started me. I guess with my own philosophy, my own food philosophy, and my own signature uh, dishes that that were created over the years, it was a lot of fun. Twenty years is amazing for a restaurant. You know, what is what are some of the highlights at the venue over the years? Yeah, there's been a lot of highlights. Um, I mean. Now, apart from, I guess, winning hats year on every year and being notably recognised um, as an award-winning restaurant is, is um, you know, an achievement in itself and I was very, very grateful for that. Um, yeah, there's some personal awards such as the Chef of the Year. One Chef of the Year was George Columbaris as Young Chef of the Year in 2003. That was good. Um, 
But I guess what's been what's been uh, the highlight for me is probably being able to um, do as much for charity as possible in this city and to basically give back, you know, give back to um, a lot of the underprivileged um, for children and, and any opportunity to do something for those organisations is is actually a mark of respect and something that I've really, really um, enjoyed over the years. Um, you know, there's been some 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 great times in the restaurant with with um, you know famous people and movie stars, but also too we've had some great staff and some great managers. And I guess uh, where I've been lucky and very fortunate is to have a great team uh, um, that's stuck with me over the journey. I mean, I've had some managers and chefs that have just been there for so long, and and that just gives you confidence and it gives you consistency and it it comes for a great it comes to a great workplace when you've got so much people when you've got so much loyalty um, from from your own staff it it, 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 it echoes in the dining room and it um, it it attracts great staff and also to uh, it's, it's just good for the customers so I've been very very fortunate to have a very tight team over the years that have done me very proud. How different is the industry to those early days at Ezard now? And, um, you know, we were all a little bit younger back then, 20 years or some time ago. Um, can you paint a, paint a picture of the, the differences now of running a restaurant? Yeah, um, I mean, you can, you can probably start really with the, the financial aspect firstly. I think, I think uh, with all of the, 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 the pressure with rising costs, utilities, rent, food, um, I think the pro- the biggest challenge and the biggest change really is the rising of cost, and the rising of cost means the downward pressure on net profit. So um, I think that is the biggest sort of uh, thing, and that and that leads into all of the IR changes that we've seen over the years. Um, you know, obviously with um, uh, minimum salaries ever increasing, and a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of restrictions and pressure on on how you conduct your um, staff and how you have to con- conform. Um, it's very rigid and it takes a lot of time and a lot of money to actually do that. So, um, the, yeah, I, I think the biggest challenge anybody faces these days is the challenge of compliance um, in, in running a restaurant. I think that's the biggest change. Secondly to that, um, look, I think uh, the, the way that we eat and the way that we, that we dine has changed a lot. Um, particularly in the last three to four years, um, and it, it's becoming more, more competitive and more challenging. I guess in some respects, if you're offering, uh, if if you're a new kid on the block and you're offering something new and dynamic, and you're a twenty-year-old restaurant, you know there's there's a big parallel of difference, and that's that. And there's a there's a competitive streak that you always need to maintain, even if you're a very you know, sort of well-aged restaurants. So there's you know, competition and compliance, I think, is one of the two biggest challenges we face today. Yeah, you just spoke of sort of young operators and the focus that they may get. Um, why did you become a chef? Um, I started as, well, I, I became a chef because I was offered a job as a chef. I had a job as a kitchen hand, a kitchen hand working um, Friday and Saturday nights at my local pub when I was at school and um, – uh, one of the apprentices left, and I was offered a job. So I, I, I love what I was doing. I love what I was seeing, and 
um, I jumped at the chance and I left school at, at uh, in year 10 to, to become a, a an apprentice chef. And then um, I worked for a pub where I guess it was a great place to learn because it was very um, – it just teaches – teaches you the raw basics of food and turnover and how to handle it. And then I went on to, to restaurants in my second year, the Two Faces in South Era, and I've maintained a restaurant um, a restaurant career ever since then. Did you work with uh, a few notable chefs at Two Faces? It's quite a famous restaurant uh, in Melbourne's history, but they've had quite a few good chefs through there as well. Yeah, they've had uh, – well, I mean, during my time, there was uh, just Miss Guy Grossi, uh, Luke Mangan, I worked with for a little while at Two Faces, um, but probably they're the only notable local guys. But there was a lot of international talent that went through that restaurant that were very, very good, very good guys to work with and for. And they bought, I guess, an international um, sort of edge to the restaurant, to the kitchen. So it was really good to learn off some of those guys. And a lot of them were um, Swiss or, or French or German at the time. Yeah, so that was that was a lot of fun. How important has the international work has been throughout your career? And you know, what's your feeling about how um, they've been treated during this pandemic and um, the future of the industry and the reliance on them? Yeah, well, it's look. I have to tell you how um, I feel in a way they've been singled out. I think that the international workers have have brought such a such a great flavour to this city of ours. I mean. You know, Melbourne is just rich of of culture and and food and just in history and and these guys that come to work for us add to that layer of you know sort of that layer of the internationalism that helps this city and our in our culture and our our restaurants. I mean, without them, uh, you know, we really really need them. I think that they're understated, uh, and I think in the situation that they're currently in, it's it's. It's just awful. Um, I mean, we have a few that we've had to lay off and stand down that aren't receiving an income. And you're in the middle of a, of a pandemic and you're looking at your staff and they're not being looked after. Uh, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult, very, very hard, and I feel that that needs to change. I really do. Do you think there'll be a new approach to hospitality on the other side of this pandemic and that it's shone a light on the real day-to-day issues that perhaps can be changed and will be changed? Yeah, look, I think that the whole thing about um, coming out of this, well, first of all, there'll be a very you – know, there's obviously a big shake-up occurring that is happening before us and I think whoever um, – the players that come out of all of this will have uh, an industry that'll be very, very different to what it's been. I think uh, I think there'll be a lot of positive change in that pre-ticketed sales will, will occur. I think that happens in the US at the moment. I can't see that happening now here. I think um, we'll see more of a commitment of diners and, and really an understanding uh, from diners as to how difficult this industry really is. So I think that there'll be a more serious side of, of, of the approach towards the industry coming out of this uh, that could only sing a positive phrase to to us because we're at the end of the day we're all trying to to run a business um and obviously with all of the covid um compliance um things that you need to be doing within your restaurant is from you know obviously from all the sanitation from the checks with all your staff um all of the 
the sanitation that you've got to continually do in between table breaks. I mean, that that form I think will continue to be with us for another few years until they maybe possibly find a vaccine. So there'll be there'll be a lot of different standards in how we treat our restaurants and our dining rooms and how we prepare for the customer. How have you been in this period? You know, you've made a pretty important and difficult decision to close a, a restaurant that you've had for so long. Um, has this experience changed you moving forward? Yeah, look, it has changed me. I, I, I really, I mean, going through the process, uh, I mean, obviously I'm finding a great deal of support with um, my comrades in the industry and we're, we're there to support each other. But, I mean, when you've, when you've got an individual uh, restaurant branded with your own name, there's, a, I guess there's a form of ego attached with that, which is something that, that um, you know, I really did release a good 12 months ago because I had made a conscious decision that to, in order to keep a restaurant branded with your own name open, you needed to make, you need to be in a very good, good space about that and be quite confident and make decisions based upon, I guess, the business value rather than the, uh, the emotional or, or the ego value, if you know what I mean. So, um, it, 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 I, look, I, look, I've been stumbling around for a little bit, um, not feeling the greatest about it, but I do know in my heart of hearts that I've made a great decision. So I guess, Anthony, I've kind of moved on. Yeah. What are you going to miss from Azad? First thing I'm going to miss is the staff. Um, you know, the, the, the loyalty that they've shown and provided me over the years and the people who have worked there and were still working there up until we closed, I'm going to miss them the most. But uh, I'm also going to miss a lot of the, the, the loyal customers that have been coming in for years who I've befriended. That I can't, uh, that I can't sort of cater for in that in that four walls or that environment anymore. I'm going to miss the people that have reached out to me, that have been so supportive um, of of me and 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 been, I guess, um, helped me celebrate over the years uh, the achievements. I'm going to miss. I'm going to miss that. But I think I'm being the most. I'm going to really miss is that I'm a fine dining lover. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, I just uh, I love casual food, and there's a space for me to, always to be eating casually. But one of I'm, I'm a fine dining guy, so I'm really going to miss the the cuisine greatly. However, um, I'm planning it to come back in a different form, so that'll be some something in the future that uh, will be different, but um, something I'm working on. Well, let's look at the future a bit. You've mentioned that you've moved, you're moving forward, and that there's positives. There are positives to come out of this. You know, what's what what is in the future for for you um, following the closure of Azad? Well, I think I can do is. Uh, I mean, I think for me, really, is what I've learned in the last twenty years or so is something that I need to apply, that I want to apply to my next my next. Uh, my next decision, I think the whole thing about is uh, where I can come from my head and my heart, not from my hands. And I think that um, you know, there's there's a fair bit of learning that uh, that I've done and what I've created. And I think for me, it's just about using all of that, combining it all, and wrapping it up, and uh, and just getting some some confidence in going forward with something that's totally new. And that's uh, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. And I think. Uh, in this in this day and age, um, the newness 
and the reinvention um, is is upon us. And I see some fantastic restaurateurs uh, in Melbourne, and you know, so Chris Lucas and Andrew McConnell, and I mean, they're the sort of guys that keep reinventing and and reimagining. And I think that they're just at the top of their game, and and they are providing the benchmark, and you know, they're the ones to look to. So you know, I guess you know these guys are. I, I guess you can easily say that. You know, you sort of want to follow that lead a little bit in in making the decisions, but you know, breaking away in your, in your own mould. But they've certainly created the benchmark. A little earlier, you sort of shared how much yeah. you love fine dining. What is what are some of the great fine dining experiences that you've had on the planet? Mm, yeah, well, I've had a lot of I've, I had a great deal of fine dining, fun memories in. In Asia, when I was opening up a restaurant in Hong Kong with uh, with my wife Tina, that was that was good. Um, you know, I had some restaurants through KL that were that were unique. Um, Travelling through through France and through Europe as well. I mean, I think between you know between the the big you know the big Asian cities and and European cities, the the offering of the fine dining is 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 remarkable. I mean. You know, some of the restaurants there have been there for for years and years, and some are, are quite new. And I think you know, sort of the rise of the the Michelin star guide throughout Asia over the last <clears throat> over the last number of years has seen a a rise of of some really really good restaurants that need to be celebrated. Uh, but I think uh, I probably think of one of my long term uh, restaurants that I love the most is Ledion in in Paris. Uh, that's a Mission Star three three dining. That's a terrific experience, um, and the French Laundry um, in in the, in the US just out of Frisco. So they're two of the best meals that I've ever, ever had. You know, given the circumstances with the pandemic and the industry, you know, attempting to open up again, you know, where do you see fine dining? Mm. Is it somewhere that's a bit off into the future, or, or do you think it'll be reinvented? What's what's your thoughts about the, the actual that style of eating? I think there's always a place of fine dining in every city in the world. Um, I think the big difference here is um, the population or the, or, or the mass of the population that that really you're catering to in a market of fine dining at the moment. I think um, it's more it's it, it's a smaller market going into a recession. It's a smaller market that uh, that would want to obtain that that level of dining. So I think that it's going to be off the ball for a little while, but there's certainly a market that that you, you need to have people celebrate. You need to have people going to restaurants for occasions. You know, you, you need to have people going for their birthdays or anniversaries. Um, that's that just needs to continue. People will always do that. So there is always a place. There's always a room for for, for fine dining for that experience. Um, you know, I think in 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 Australia right now, um, you know, whether in the current climate um, that's going to be that's going to be supported or struggles through, I'm not sure. But I think um, long term, I'm very very confident that that it'll be strong and will always continue. That's that's in my heart of hearts for sure. What are you most proud of over the? span of your career not just 20 years with azad you've been you know heavily involved in the culinary landscape of australia for a long time now but what's what's really special um to you over your career um it's what's probably special is um i guess what's different 
what's a little bit different to me to other chefs coming through the ranks was probably my individuality. I think um, I didn't do any – I didn't copy anything. I mean, there was no internet. There was no – I was coming through and designing my own menu and my own style. Um, it, it was quite unique bringing a, a collection of um, – because I'm European trained, so bringing – background of how you're tra- trained in a European way to my love of Asian food and sort of fusing that together and creating my own brand as something that um, sort of spun off into a few signature dishes along the way. And that's that's probably something that I'm most proud of, that um, that I create something that will 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 always be there, um, that, I'm, that I just feel very proud and fond of. And I think that's, that's – um, Sort of the the food philosophy, I guess, from that in a basic sort of sense of you know hot, sweet, sour, and salty, and and crunch and texture, kind of followed through to onto Ezard and was a sort of set the parameters of what we do and how we cook and what we set out to achieve. So, yeah, that's probably one of my proudest moments. You know, you've had to deal with a pretty difficult decision and changing of your entire life. Um, what, what sort of advice could you give to young people in the industry that, you know, have been faced with challenges and questioning their career at the moment and, and even operators that may be in a similar situation to what you've just gone through? Mm. Yeah, well, um, I, I guess I guess you need to trust other people. Uh, the first thing that I would be saying is to, is to talk to people. Um, talk to people about how you're feeling personally, about if you're, if you're in business, about how you feel about your business and where it is and seek help and talk to people and get mentors and, you know, use use the advice and the wisdom from others to get you through this time. I mean, that's the first and foremost. I think if you are in business, um, you know, it's it's a time for, it's a time for, um, you know, keeping your cash flow strong and tight and it's not a time for any spending or, or, or doing anything that's going to improve your business in the short term. I think at the moment it's, it's about trying to look towards the next 12 to 18 months to survive and that's planning, that's budgeting, that's cash flow planning in business. So, um, But, yeah, personally, um, you know, if you've experienced this pandemic personally, um, I strongly suggest that anybody who's out there just uh, just to seek seek help, seek comfort, even, even a professional, uh, a family member, a good friend, a mentor, it – it pays to talk, and it pays to, to um, you know, p- people to, to to listen to you. You can get a lot off your chest, and you can get really ahead of yourself and feel much, 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 much better when you've done that. What are some of the positives to come out of this uh, for you that have kept kept you going with the sort of difficult decisions you've been making? Yeah, I guess the positives is uh, just learning not to hold on to the past uh, and learning to somehow create a future um, and look towards a future. And not a pass. And I think, I think what I've learned is uh, the other thing is to never rest. Um, uh, as soon as you rest, you you go to sleep, and that's 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 kind of it. That's history. You, you've got to um, make decisions that you might not want to make, but you have to make. And I think when you've got that coming towards you, and you've you've sort of done that, and you've made a decision that you didn't like, you know, on, on the other side of that. There is a there is a a good reason and a good positive that does come out of making these hard decisions. It, it does propel you forward, and I, you know, 
think that the philosophy about one door closing and one door opening is a very, very good one. And I, um, but you know, time to renew and, and to do things that are di- very different is is a different challenge rather than having a challenge that's just sort of uh, sits there. If that makes sense. Absolutely, mm. you've been a pretty amazing um, influence on Melbourne's culinary landscape and Australia's. You know, what do you love about the Australian hospitality sector? Uh, just young people. Uh, you know, very working working with employing young people who come from different circumstances, different countries, different. I mean, you're bringing a like a woven fabric together when you're employing a vast number of people that are just very unique and very different. I mean, that's what I that's what I love the most is seeing how um, you can bring something together in an, an environment that. Um, that works and it gives other people an advantage uh, as well in life. And I think, um, you know, the other thing is just contrib- you know, making a contribution, I guess, to the to the Melbourne and Sydney um, dining environment over the last sort of 10 years has, has, has been has been great, um, great for me. And I, I, I feel that the contribution that I've put in is, is, it has been – has been good and um, and I've really really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the journey and it it's, it hasn't stopped. It's still going, but um, at the moment I'm just stepping a little bit sideways. If that makes sense. You've always been a supporter of local producers as well. You know, what have been some of your favourite producer discoveries over the years? Locally, um, uh, look, there's there's just too many. There's just too many to name. Um, way too many to name without singling anybody out. But I think where the producers in this country are all different is they're very unique. They're very unique, and I tell you, the bar has risen in the last the last uh, ten years. The, the the bar has has risen dramatically to the point where, you know, I mean, some of the stuff that's being churned out of these producers is just it's just mind boggling. Um, and the good thing about some of these producers is is that it's 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 a family history now, where uh, you know a, a chicken farm or a beef farm it, it just runs through the family, so. You're only going to see that when it runs through a family heirloom, it's only going to become better and stronger and, and fitter as it goes. Because not only is the um, is the second gen is the second or third generation passing on an older technique to to a younger farmer, but um, you know the younger farmer's got um, a lot more uh, wisdom through IT, through marketing, through how they push their product forward. So um, not only in this country, other other uh, producers becoming better, but they're becoming more marketable and becoming more savvy, and and we really are a leader in the world. Absolutely. What does the next year uh, hold for you? And do you have any sort of hints or um, ideas of you know what the next um, step will be for for you and Tina? Yeah. Well, I mean, con- consolidation. I think is the first thing that we're um, that we're doing right now is. Um, you know, we're just consolidating behind the scenes, um, and that the, we want to see how that looks. I guess coming out of the pandemic, and uh, I, I think for us, we've always we've always been in a position where we've self-funded our our, um, our enterprises, and we don't have any partners. So, um, what what we will do is uh, we will be looking at doing different different models moving forward, and that is. Different ways of um, of conducting business, and in order for us to do that, 
we need to take a step back and just consolidate and spend some time getting through this. So, I mean, what's coming forward is something that's, you know, sort of exciting and, and equally challenging but also rewarding uh, without going too far down the road. But um, we're just we're just in <laughs> we're just consolidating. I think that's the best way to put it. Well, mate, I know it's been a pretty tough time and really appreciate you sharing your time with us. Mm. Um, very much looking forward to see what you do in the future because um, you're a bloody good bloke and a bloody good cook. So um, Australia needs something from T. Gezard again. Yep. Thanks, mate. Um, keep in touch and um, and we'll catch up sometime down the track and see how you're yep. going. Sounds terrific, mate. Thanks for the chat. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>